Our first scripture passage is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 21, read from the English Standard Version. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance from the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word of the Lord. Use as directed. Is that a requirement or a suggestion? What do you think? You have a toaster, right? What are you supposed to put in it? Bread? Bread. An egg? A fork? You're supposed to use as directed, right? How about this? This is, a, this is a smartphone right here. You could use it for the internet, for social media, for making phone calls, or if you're a two-year-old, it could be a bath toy. This could be a boat. This could be a surfboard, right? Or should you use it as directed? There's a TV show that was on not too long ago, a reality TV show that we're going to call the name of it Donkey because the actual name is a little inappropriate. It's about a group of young men who act as donkeys, let's say. And these donkeys do stupid tricks, and they film them. One of the stupid tricks they did on a particular day was they did shopping cart bobsledding. Shopping cart bobsledding is like this. You find a hill and a shopping cart, a shopping cart looking like something you get at Giant or Target or Whole Foods, whatever, pushing the cart. One of the donkeys got into the cart, and the other one started pushing it downhill as fast as he could, and then jumped in with him like a bobsled. 
So what happens when a shopping cart with two guys in it is going super fast down the hill? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not being used as directed, okay? There is intention in design. Things work best when following their intention and design. Another example, just take a car, right? A car is meant to have air in the tires, gasoline in the fuel tank, the key in the ignition, and be driven on a road. It seems to work best when all those things are in place. So why not take the key and jam it into the side of the tire? Why not put water in the fuel tank? Why not drive your car in the Atlantic Ocean? If you own a car, you can do this if you want. You are free to do so. But why would you? Why would you do that with your car? When the Bible talks about how we are to live, it does so in the same sort of language. You see, the creator created us with intention and design to live before him and in his presence, following his designs for us. In Ephesians 5, which we're looking at today, which is part of a whole long section of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus about how they are to live as followers of Christ, as those who know God and want to follow his purposes. And the metaphor that he uses several times in chapter 5 that we're going to hitch on today is walking. How are you supposed to walk? What is the intention and design? And again, we want to back up a little bit just to set this up. When you talk about walking, right, we think about a baby learning to walk for the first time. Now, when the baby who's one or one and a half starts walking, does it walk in order to become a human? No. It walks as part of the maturing process of already being human. It's stepping into adulthood, if you would, as it stands and then walks and then runs. And when it's able to walk, it's able to more fully enjoy life, even if it is not more enjoyable for the parents. How do we enter into maturity and enjoy the fullness of new life in Christ? We walk. And Paul writes it here, walk in love, walk in the light, and walk in wisdom, but I'm going to couch it in walk by the Spirit, because that's actually undergirding it at the end of our passage. We're going to take these out of order, but use that to frame. Walk in love, walk by the Spirit, walk in light. First, walk in love. Let's see it in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So our lives as believers in Christ are meant to be marked by love that is like Christ's, that says. And if you read this, this is saying love finds its meaning and definition in the cross of Christ. On the cross, Jesus offers himself, sacrifices himself not for his own benefit, but for our good. He redeems us. That means 
sets us free from bondage to sin. And he forgives us his blood being shed for our sin. And he does so for us, for his enemies. That's what love is. How does cross love differ from our other definitions of love? Sometimes we use love and we use the word infatuation. Actually, it's probably the better fitting thing. Or when you talk about loving other people, we actually think, I want to be nice to them. Is cross love more than being nice? Or how about when love degenerates in a family or in a relationship? And we start thinking of love as, well, this this isn't what I bargained for. What about my share? What about my needs? It's not hard in close relationships to turn love into a self-focused, need-oriented, my rights, my place. How does that differ from the cross? Every definition of love that does not resemble or reveal the cross falls short. We are made and called to walk in love as Christ, selfless, sacrificial, forgiving our enemies, extending grace to the undeserving, even our parents or our kids. That's what love is that we're called to walk in. First, walk in love like the cross. Second, and this is jumping to the end, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18. Verse 18 says, if I can find it here, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. This phrase here, be filled with the Spirit, it has a Greek word that they translate in our translation as with, but it could also be translated in or by, and after looking at it in context and also reading several commentaries, they basically make the point that really the way that we should read this is be filled by the Spirit. In other words, it's not get more of the Holy Spirit, because what we hear in the Bible is if you come to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And in that sense, you can't actually get more of the Spirit. But here, the actual best translation is be filled by the Spirit. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit that's already in you, who is the one filling you. That what's filling my thoughts and my life is not other things. It's the Spirit who's pouring into my mind, not my career, not sex, or people's approval, not a boyfriend's love. The Spirit is the one who's filling my life. And we see this in the contrast between being drunk with wine and being filled by the Spirit. Just think about how Paul lays that out. So he lays it out pretty clearly, like it's, it's not okay to be drunk, or let's use another term, high. It's not okay to be drunk or high, rather be filled by the Spirit. And why is that a contrast? Well, just look at what happens when, you, when you're drunk or when you're high, right? Being drunk or high actually dulls your mind. You lose awareness. But when you're filled by the Spirit, the Spirit actually engages your mind. The Spirit engages your will and your reason. In Eastern meditation, you're supposed to empty your mind. 
Getting high drunk is to dull your mind. To be filled by the Spirit is to engage and make your mind more alive than it's ever been. It's to use the faculties that God has given you. The Spirit engages our mind. When you're drunk, you're trying to escape and avoid problems. Or at least you can do that temporarily. When the Spirit is filling you, you don't actually avoid your problems, you engage them. You step into them. You admit your problems. And you see the depth of your problems because of your sin that's beneath them. And you take your problems and you're honest about them and you entrust them to the Lord. It's very different than trying to avoid them. When you're drunk, you're actually focused on yourself and your needs. This is what I want right now. When you're filled by the Spirit, you're less focused on yourself. You're more increased with love for God and as a result with love for others. I would say that when you are high or drunk, you're less yourself. Because people will say, oh, well, I didn't mean what I said last night. Or I wish I hadn't done that. It wasn't me. But when you're filled by the Spirit, you're actually true to your identity for the first time. The Spirit fills our minds and our desires and our thoughts with, and we see this actually played out in verses 15 through 17, 19, and 20, all the verses that are around this. The Spirit filling us gives us wisdom, verse 15. We discern, we understand, verse 17, the ways and will of God. When the Spirit is filling my head, I actually grasp what's right and wrong and good and true better. And it overflows, verse 19 and 20, into thanksgiving and praise for God and what he's done. And verse 21, it actually causes me to be more humble and selfless, willing to put others' needs ahead of my own. Here's what I would say. When you see a man or woman who is filled by the Spirit, you shouldn't notice them. You shouldn't actually even notice the Spirit. You should instead be drawn to God, to what Jesus Christ has done for us, and most likely you will feel genuinely loved. When somebody is filled by the Spirit, they point us to God and they love us. Be filled by the Spirit. And when we are filled by the Spirit, it says in verses 19 and 20, Be filled by the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Spirit causes us to overflow in psalms and hymns and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God, shared with one another. It's interesting how it it actually says there in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns. And in a sense, this is why we and Christians throughout the centuries have gathered corporately to worship. We gather in small groups and in other ways of being together. It's why we do things here at CCV in a corporate sort of way. We read the scriptures together. We declare our faith together. We hear the word preached together. We sing hymns together. We walk forward to receive together. It's in physical and verbal ways of 
praising God corporately and together. Praise and thanks is not just to God. It's meant to be for one another. So if you struggle with singing in public, just know that that's why other people are doing it. It's not just because they think they have great voices. So I'm okay with the one another part. The part that I'm weirded out by is that it says that we're supposed to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What does that actually look like? I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle with musicals. I prefer a stage play straight to a musical. Why? Because they're always breaking out in singing. It's just weird. I mean, you know how it goes, right? The little kid says, why does the thunder get so angry? It makes me want to cry. And the lady says, well, whenever I'm feeling unhappy, I just try to think of nice things. Well, what sorts of things, the little kid says. Oh, let me see, nice things, you know, daffodils and green meadows, skies full of stars, and raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen. Why is she singing? <laughs> right? Just talk. When you're a jet, you're a jet. I mean, just talk. That's weird. Is that what we're supposed to do? Oh, Ryan, good to see you today. God loves you. I hope not. No, no, but maybe we are, actually. Maybe we are. I do think there is an element of song and music that is actually a gift from God, and we should share it with one another. And if you have musical gifts, share them. And if you hear a good song that brings you to worship God, share it. Because music is one of those gifts from God. But I think there's also something beneath this, because not every psalm or hymn was sung in the first century. But rather what you see beneath psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is words that are focused on God, on who he is and what he has done. And when somebody writes a psalm or a hymn, they're taking creativity and their emotion and desire and they're worshiping God with their words and they're bringing their words and their language to other people to share. Do you get what I mean? Our words with one another should be pointing to God and to what he has done. We should be preaching the gospel to one another, sharing a psalm that we've been reading. We should be having words of encouragement. We talked about this last week. These should be on our lips and in our hearts and the way we build one another up. And ultimately, it's building a culture of worship, of love for God more and more and more that loves and encourages one another. What we're looking to create is a joyful and humble and loving, Christ-centered, God-worshiping family. So we walk filled by the Spirit. And lastly, we walk in light. We walk in light. In verse 8 we read, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. At one time you were darkness. 
Light and dark is a metaphor that's consistent in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. It's a consistent for spiritual condition of people and for the contrast between God and the works of darkness or evil that are against him. The Bible says God is light. Since God is light, and from a physics sense, darkness is the absence of light. When you hear the word darkness in the Bible, it actually is the state where God is not. Darkness is the state where God is not. We see a description of it in in some vices and immorality that are talked about in verses 3 and 4. Sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness. And then he goes on to talk about filthiness, foolish talk, crude language. Sexual impurity. All kinds of impurity. Basically anything that is an addiction or a vice. And then he adds on this one covetousness. Kind of weird or it doesn't seem like it fits, right? Okay, impurity. But covetousness is basically desiring something too much. You can desire your kids too much. You can desire ease of life too much. If you want to put all these things into a simple way of understanding them, it's being focused on self and worshiping something else. In other words, it's unbelief. It's not trusting God. It's not acknowledging God. It's not believing him. And Paul is pretty stark in here. This is one of the ones that we get uncomfortable with. He says, such a person, verse 5, has no place, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, what he's talking about here is not just sinning. We all sin. We all fall short. We will all mess up. And I guarantee you, you will not leave here today without sinning at least once. Oh, her dress is nicer than mine. How come everyone's talking to him instead of me? I mean, even just that, I've I've walked into sin, right? We won't leave here without sinning. But what this is talking about is living in a state of unrepentance, not willing to acknowledge God or his call and claim on our lives. That's what it is to be in darkness. It's rejecting God because something else besides God is my main desire, my primary love. To be in darkness is to live in a place where God is not. And if we don't turn from it, it is to do so eternally. But Paul says, you are no longer darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk in the light. Walk as children of the light. You were by nature darkness. It's interesting. You were darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. So to be in the light, you have to have the Lord. To be in darkness, you just have to have yourself. Our natural state as human beings is to be in darkness, to be apart from God. The Bible makes that clear. But But in the Lord, you can now be light. God is with us because Christ is in us, because we have put our trust in Christ and not ourselves. If your trust is in yourself, you might as well be dark. If your trust is in Christ, you are already light. 
In other words, becoming light is not our own doing. It's not you've got to try harder to put away those sins. Uh, you struggle with coveting or you struggle with immorality. You can try, you can work hard, but until Christ enters by faith, you're dark. But our darkness, the Bible says, has been dealt with on the cross. Our sin has been paid for. When we accept Christ's sacrifice for us, God accepts us and comes into us to dwell with and in us. And that's who Paul's talking to, believers in Christ. And so he says, walk as children of the light. To walk as children of the light is to live in a constant state of where God is. How do you do that? It's that my thoughts and my desires and my decisions and my actions and my career and my family and my friendships and my free time and my screen time and my, my purchases are lived as before God. They're lived in his presence, submitted to his purposes. To walk in the light is to live with a constant awareness of God and a desire to reflect and reveal him everywhere I go. I want to look like God. I want to point people to God everywhere, in every decision, every thought, every word. The indication is that others actually see, experience, and understand God more because of us and our presence in their life. So how do we do this? How do we walk as lights in a world of darkness? One of the ways to talk about darkness is unbelief and immorality. We saw that in some of the verses that surrounded our passage today. And one of the hard parts is that Paul says in verses 11, 12, and 13 that you are to take no part in the works of darkness, but instead expose them. And the challenging part of understanding what's going on there is that it makes it sound like we should have nothing to do with people who are sinners by that sort of definition. But I do think this, I think this means if you struggle with something in particular, you need to be careful where you spend your time. If you are an alcoholic, don't go to places where people are getting drunk. Anybody in AA knows that. You hang out with other people who are fighting against that temptation. But I think it's not just, hey, there's darkness, stay away from it, because a lot of Christians do that. I think that the answer is actually in this hymn passage, this little hymn verse in verse 14. Paul is citing a hymn that must have been a part of early church worship when he says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, this is verse 14, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. The aim of God's work in this world and in our lives is resurrection. He wants to bring life to those who are dead which means light needs to enter places of darkness, which means you and I need to step into the lives of people who are struggling in sin and unbelief. We should be asking, will my life bring life, spiritual life, to people who are dead? How can I be Christ and shine in dark places? And I think it looks a lot like the woman at the well and Jesus' entry with her. It's not the Pharisees taking the woman caught in adultery and saying, see, this is bad. It's Jesus approaching, being approached by the woman at the well who was a prostitute, 
The woman comes down to see Jesus. She thinks she's about ready to turn another trick. She has another customer. But Jesus does not accept that. He says, no, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not going to enter into your sin. But he also doesn't slam her or humiliate her. He addresses her and gives her respect. And then he shows her love. He points her to the truth about her darkness, her way of life. He points to himself as the one who has come to save her, and he offers her forgiveness and hope. He loves her the way she needs to be loved, not as she has been doing for years. And she accepts the light that pushes out darkness in her life. And she actually goes back to her village and brings the light of Christ to the rest of her town. That's what it looks like to be light into somebody's dark world. So do Jesus with the wound at the well to people in your life. Darkness is not just immorality. It's actually also the effects of sin in the world. So another way to talk about darkness, just to close us out here, is the effects of the fall. Poverty, sickness, depression, suffering of any kind, death. The effects of the fall is darkness and it's all around us. So if we're to walk in the light, to be light, we need to ask, is there any darkness around us? Is there darkness in the D.C. area? Is there darkness in a wonderful place like Vienna? If you went into most homes, you might see a marriage. The question is, is that marriage in darkness right now? Is it crumbling under the strain of sin and selfishness and pride? With wrong definitions of love, is that a place of darkness? My guess is there are many of those in this town. Or what about the effects of poverty? There's a large segment of new immigrants in this community who are struggling with empty cupboards. There are teenagers who work 30 or 40 hours a week to help make ends meet for their family. In this town. And that's not to mention widow, widowers who are lonely and aging without family nearby. Or the brilliant and talented and stressed out and suicidal students in our schools. Or the successful and rich, a lot of them in this town who have everything but are spiritually completely empty and hopeless. Which darkness do you tend to avoid? Or which are you tempted to disdain? The immoral or the rich? The undocumented worker? or your own spouse? Do you know any of this darkness yourself? Are you in a place of darkness today? Remember this, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the face of the earth on that Friday. Darkness like the middle of night. 
And as he hung dying, Jesus cried out, my God, my God and Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Jesus, who knew no darkness, entered darkness for us. He who was God went to the place where God is not. He endured spiritual and eternal darkness, apartness from God, so we could become the place where God is, where God dwells. Are you in darkness? Come into the light. And for those who are in Christ, he calls us to walk as children of the light in this world, filled by the Spirit, bearing the love of Christ and his death on the cross into the darkness, into the people and places where God is not. Let's pray. God, for those of us who are struggling with who we are and why we're here, bring life and light. For those who have faith in Christ but want to experience more of you, fill us by your spirit and use this community here to be light in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. sorrow and that Jesus I come Jesus I come into thy freedom gladness and light Jesus I come to out of my sickness into thy health out of my wanting and into thy sin and into thyself Jesus I come to thee Jesus I come to thee